Amen. So it is so exciting to be a part of what God is doing here. And uh, I, I can remember a moment when I was a kid. Um, it was like in sixth grade. I think it was actually in sixth grade. And I had been sitting in the back of the room, and uh, often teachers put me as uh, far away from them as they could. Um, and so uh, I, I was that kid. Uh, school, in some ways, came too easy for me, and I had a lot of energy. And so uh, the further they could get me away from them, probably the better for them. I get it. Love you if you're watching. Uh, and so I, I'm sitting in the back and starting to, to realize, like, I can't really see the board. And there was a moment where my parents are like, okay, I'm going to, we're going to take you and have your eyes checked. And I can remember the moment where actually the doctor put the one over my eyes, the lens that allowed me to see the way I needed to see. And it was like the world just opened up to me. It was crystal clear. If you have glasses or contacts, I wear contacts, uh, you know what I'm talking about. It's that moment where it just clicks and connects, and suddenly you can see the way everything else is supposed to and meant to be. And when we get into what we're talking about today, the birth of a vision, there's this reality that God has a vision for your life and the life of our church. And my hope and prayer is that it begins to get clear and connects. And so there are portions of this that are for you. There are portions of this that are for us. But I hope it feels like you're putting on new glasses, new lenses to see the world and the life that God has offered you. In Proverbs 29, 18, there's a verse that's often been used out of context. It's often been used in situations like this uh, to cast vision and, and interestingly enough, there's not a time in my ministry where I remember leading with this verse to cast vision. I'm so thankful because as I studied it, I realized how wrongly it had often been used. Let me read to you the verse. It says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. You see, a lot of times this verse will be put out in a way to, to cast a vision to say, hey, if we don't have vision, if we don't have this vision statement or this thing happening, that, that we're actually going to miss the mark of what God intended. But that's not actually what the verse is saying. Actually, what the verse is saying, prophetic vision, another uh, way of thinking of this, again, this is written in the Old Testament in the book of Proverbs, it's actually, another translation would say, God's revealed will. That, that actually it's his revealed will, which we find in the word of God. What does that mean? Well, that means that the vision for our life, the vision for our church is actually going to come from God's revealed will. That actually, in many ways, He's revealed his will and his vision for you and for me and for us. And it's a matter of getting into his word and understanding what he's already revealed. Now, the latter part of that verse, if we can go back to it, is incredibly important. It, it actually says, but blessed is he who keeps the law and that people cast off constraint." And what do we see in our world today? What do we see all around us? What maybe do you see in your own life, if you're honest? That without a vision from God's word, without his revealed will, we tend to throw off all constraint and we tend to get a little reckless. Anybody? We tend to see a world in the condition it's in today. 
that's incredibly broken and missing the mark of God's will and God's vision, his plan, what he has. As we look at this today, I want to define vision a little bit differently for you. This is my definition. It's God's revealed will and invitation for his people's participation. Let's just read that together, can we? God's revealed will and invitation for his people's participation, for your and my participation, for your participation, for your, okay, you got it. You you see, God reveals his will in his word, and he says, this is what I'm about, this is what I have, and now it's an invitation for us to be a part of it and to participate. This is throughout scripture, but also as we look at this for us today, there are things that God is going to be inviting us into. Now, this is important for you to know a little of the backstory. Uh, Those of you that don't know, I was uh, hired, my first day was November 1 of 2020. And so we moved during a pandemic, we moved during a time period where many churches and many ministries began with a 2020 vision in January of 2020. Anybody? And suddenly, God said, no, 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 no. I'm going to throw something in the middle of this year, actually a number of things, that are going to cause disruption, are going to cause pain, are going to cause difficulty. And through that, that disruption, you're going to, I believe, get back into my word, get back into a relationship with me, and I'm going to give you clarity on the vision that I have for my people in my church. As we transitioned in in November of 2020, I was often asked, what is the vision for Pathway? What is the vision? What's your vision, pastor, you know, as the the new guy? And I can remember just knowing that God had very clearly, as I prayed, told me a couple of things. That one, you're to take the first year and get the DNA right. That that actually was more important that we, we got our mission, loving God and loving all people in our pathway. That we began to understand who we were as a church. That we began to lay a foundation for the future. I kept having to say, hey, not yet. Give me time. I'm trying to listen to the Lord. I'm trying to get into the word. I'm trying to get into the community. I'm trying to understand what is God's will and invitation. What's he inviting us into? And so there's a process that occurs in birthing a vision. There, there's actually a process that occurs because you, you have to hear from God. You have to hear from his word. You have to listen to him in community. So I want to take you to the book of Nehemiah for a few minutes this morning. And I want to show you the birth of a vision because here's the thing. You need a vision for your life just as much as our church needs a vision for the future. And the steps in birthing a vision that we're going to see here in the book of Nehemiah are going to invite us into what that looks like for you to have one in your life, in your business, in your place of not just worship but where you spend your time during the week. See, the first thing as you turn to the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament that I want to put into your notes here, or second thing, I guess, is vision is birthed by paying attention and bringing attention. By paying attention and bringing attention. 
And we're going to see this in Nehemiah's life. We're going to see how God got his attention, but he also had to pay attention and then bring others to attention. Before we do that, though, I want to show you a little clip, a video clip, because I want to see if you're paying attention. The instructions are in the clip. Just follow along. Let's play the clip. The monkey business illusion. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the ball. The correct answer is 16 passes. Did you spot the gorilla? For people who haven't seen or heard about a video like this before, about half missed the gorilla. If you knew about the gorilla, you probably saw it. But did you notice the curtain changing color or the player on the black team leaving the game? Let's rewind and watch it again. Here comes the gorilla, and there goes a player, and the curtain is changing from red to gold. That really messes with your mind, doesn't it? Come on, you were being so quiet and polite, but some of you, like, you want, how many of you got the 16? All right, number of you. How many of you had heard of this before? Okay. I, I had heard of it, obviously. I'm the one that found it. But I had never seen the, the next iteration, which is this one. How many of you have missed the curtain color and the person in black leaving the game? Wasn't that crazy? And, and here's what something like that does for us. It, it, it helps us to see that there are times where we think we're paying attention, but we're actually missing some of what's going on. Check out this moment in the book of Nehemiah as we pick up. Chapter 1, it says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekilah, Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th years, I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. So he's away, he's away from the, those that are in exile, and he asks a question. He's, and they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So what are the steps for birthing a vision? The very first thing we see here is the first step. It's asking the inconvenient question. It's actually asking the inconvenient question. That, that what we see here is in listening to God, in listening to the answer to the question, that it was an invitation into a little bit of pain. That, that actually Nehemiah would be burdened by the answer that while he is living his best life, while he is filled with opportunity and favor and he is the king's right hand as the cupbearer, he actually came from a people that are experiencing brokenness in walls that are torn down. It means that actually that city of Jerusalem was in disrepair and they were vulnerable and could be picked off 
by an enemy. He asked an inconvenient question. He didn't have to ask. He didn't have to pay attention. He didn't even have to listen. But he does, and this is the first step in birthing a vision. Let me ask you this. Where are the spaces right now that you need to actually begin to ask different questions? Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in a marriage. Maybe it's in a relationship with a kid. That, that you have, maybe it's at school or work, maybe it's through your business or our community or in the church, but are you asking the inconvenient question? The question that says, what's broken, what's wrong, what's really the condition, or are you just doing what I call ostrich-style leadership? You know what ostriches like to do, right? They like to put their head in the sand and ignore reality. Anybody else like to just go to the beach and put their head in the sand? Some of you know I'm a beach bum. That's some of what I do when I go there, right? We all have that tendency. But to birth a vision, you can't go somewhere new. You can't experience change without knowing what needs to change. And this is the question that Nehemiah is asking. Let's move on in the story and see what happens next. It says, as soon as I heard these words, so it was as soon as he heard the answer, it says he sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. Isn't he being honest and real in his prayer? May we be reminded that prayer is not just talking with God. It is talk that honors God. He is honoring God and he's being honest about the condition of he and the people. He says, verse 7, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though they are outcast and are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. Then he makes a request here. He says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success. Say success. I mean, he is not ashamed. He is not uh, cowarding behind. He is boldly saying, God, hear us. We've been wrong. There's some things to make right and give us success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. He's saying, listen, God, I need your help and we haven't done it all right. We've made mistakes. We've caused pain. We've missed the mark. But God, we're repenting. We're renewing. We're asking for your help and we need success and only you can grant it. The second step in birthing, a in a birthing a vision is asking God for help and favor. 
actually taking the answer to the inconvenient question, the things that are broken and off and wrong, and coming to God and saying through prayer, God, I I need you to do something with this. There are times where God gives us a holy discontent. You ever been disturbed by something you saw in the world? That, that often can be a holy discontent, a disturbance that's there for a reason. And we bring that to God, as Nehemiah did, and we pray and we ask God to do something with that, to birth a vision. It's often out of that place of burden and discontent and pain that vision is birthed. And he's not ashamed to ask God for help and favor. So let me ask you this, is is your vision for your life, is your vision for even our church something that that you're looking at is here's what we can accomplish, here's what we could do, here's what I'm capable of, here's what I have the talent for? Anybody? Because a real vision birthed by God has a gap. It, It actually has a gap between what you are able to do and what your God can actually supernaturally add to that. Church, there is more that God wants for your life, for the life of our church, and we need to be willing to ask him for help and favor. Now, the last part of that verse, or that chapter, verse 11, he says, now I'm cupbearer to the king. This is really important to understand. He has a dangerous job, but he also has incredible access and influence to the king. You see, as the king's cupbearer, he was essentially the right hand. He's, he's there not necessarily to call shots, but to help protect the king. He's going to taste the food and the drink and the things that maybe others would try to poison the king. He's there as a line of defense. He's the cupbearer to the king. To be the cupbearer meant that he would enter into the king's presence with joy. You know, who, who wants, to, anybody been around somebody who just drags you down? Aren't there times where we're like, were those people? Anyway. He's not allowed to drag the king down. He, he actually has to enter the king's presence. And he knows to enter his presence carrying the burden he's carrying, he's going to need God's help and favor. And so we pick up in chapter 2 and see what happens next. It says, in the month of Nisan... In the 20th year of King Arzertes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. I want to point out a couple of things here. He had never entered the king's presence carrying this kind of burden. His countenance, again, he wasn't entering with joy. It also, the month of Nisan and the month of Chislev, you may have caught in the first chapter, there's a four-month gap. Say four. Okay, we read this story as Nehemiah prayed and fasted and God gave birth to a vision two days later. It was four months that he was carrying this and waiting on God to open a door and an opportunity. Sometimes the birth of a vision just requires a little bit more patience. Can I get an amen? As we read on here, it says... The king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. 
I said to the king, let your king live forever. Why should my, not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king. Now, let me point out, he's in a conversation with the king. But he points one eye to heaven to say, God, I'm about to be in a situation. You ever been in a situation? He actually, in that moment, could have been taken out by the king. Not just for the sadness, but for the boldness of his request. So he prays and asks God again. This takes humility. A true vision revealed by God is going to be saturated and bathed in prayer and in humility. It's not something we could do on our own, church. And so he prays and he asks God, one eye on heaven, one eye on the king. He said to the king, if it pleases the king, verse 5, and if your servant is hound Favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. How bold is this man? To not just use the access and influence and the invitation with the king, but to say, king, I need your approval. I need you to back me. I need you to send me. I need you, when I travel through the country, to put your stamp and your hand on me so that anywhere I go, they know to mess with me is to mess with you. And this king is not a godly king. Ooh, church. Do we misunderstand how God uses and bends all for his good? The boldness here is amazing. He says in the letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, verse 8, that he may be, give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, or what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. I love this. The birth of a vision. The door opens. He shares it boldly. God begins to move. God actually leads the king to finance their entire building project. Now, it's an invitation from God to participate in his will. It also means we're using our influence to invite others in. The third part of uh, uh, birthing a vision is asking those, asking those we have influence with to be involved. Can we put that up on the screen for a minute? I want to talk about this because some of you have influence. All of you have influence at some level and some space and, some, and with different people. If God is birthing something in your life, there will be a moment where not only are you talking to him about it, but you begin to talk to others. And to birth a vision that's really from God is not meant to be just something we do on our own. It's something we do with God and with others. And what happens here is the king gets involved. The king actually finances the whole building project. But it doesn't stop there. It actually leads next to a moment where Nehemiah goes into town. Before he's talked to anybody, he goes back to Jerusalem. He surveys the city, we see if we read on in chapter 2. 
And as he surveys the city, he's seeing the broken down gates, the broken down walls. And and God's beginning to show him that, yes, you have the money, but now it's the people that need to be involved. You see, God wants to involve all of us in his vision. Can I get an amen? So it goes on here in verse 11. I'll jump ahead. It says, So I went to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. That's a good point there to sit on. There are times to share and times to stay silent and prayerful. Make sure it's the Lord releasing the vision. It says, There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by the night, by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up to the night by the valley and I expected the wall and I turned back and I entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing and had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. So nobody had told anybody yet what was about to happen. In verse 17, this is the moment where he begins to share with others. It says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise and build. Let us rise up and build. Can you say that with me? Let us rise up and build. You see, the piece of the vision that becomes ours is the moment when we say, yes, God, yes, I will participate. Yes, I will be a part of this. There's actually... uh, a new category of clothing right now. It's a whole, whole new thing you can look up. Uh, it's called athleisure. Can you say that with me? Athleisure. Okay, some of you may be wearing it today. I don't know. Athleisure is athletic clothing that's really designed for leisure. In 2020, it was a 248, let me get this right. Is it million or billion? It's got to be million, right? 248 billion. I was wrong category. An incredible amount of money is going into this. Anybody else notice a world that likes to wear yoga pants everywhere? Okay. Um, You you suddenly woke up. (laughs) It's a thing. And here's what's fascinating. The research underneath of this reveals that that category, that actually there's 10 times more people wearing yoga pants than people actually doing yoga. <laughs> that, that actually the category has grown more by people that just want to be comfortable in athleisure clothing than actually want to be uncomfortable and do the workout that's meant to come with it. <laughs> what up, church? <laughs> we live in a world that wants to be comfortable And yet there's something about vision and our participation that's going to require us to be willing to be uncomfortable. To be willing to say, we want to be 
participants. We don't want to just have the clothing. We want to actually use our gifts and be those kind of people. Amen? So let me share with you a little bit more about the vision that God has been birthing and giving us over the last year or so. Last six months, we've been praying over this, and I, I want to read to you 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. This will be the last couple of verses I share today, because in many ways, this is what it means to be the church. This is it, it, one of the summaries we have in Scripture of what does it mean to be the people of God and to participate and to be who he's called us to be. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you, who? You may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's an author, Robert Lewis, that says this about the church and God's people. He says, I believe a fitting description for the church would be this. It's a community of people who present living proof of a loving God to a watching world. That we are living proof of a loving God to a watching world. God invites us into this vision, I believe, to be the church. That's our vision. That's our vision for the foreseeable future, is to be the church that God has called us to be. To be the people of God that are proclaiming the love of God, that are living the life of God, that are doing that here, but also are helping others do it as well. And with that, it's restoring, reach, raising up and reaching out. That we would be a people that are being the church that when we leave here or we're leaving wherever we're watching online, we are going and believing that God is a God of restoration who extends his mercy to us, who restores us with the gospel good news of Jesus. As he fills us and restores us and makes us whole, we then are a people that go and raise up and disciple and develop others. And then as that happens, we reach out to the world and we say, this is how good our God is. The vision for us, we will be unpacking over the next few weeks more and more scripturally, what does this look like and mean? But I want to share with you today just a couple of images that I hope help us get this. The first is this idea of restoring, that, that actually the church is meant to be a hospital. That if you could picture, here's our local uh, hospital. We have a picture for you, and, and restoring is a part of that. I'll wait for the picture. No? Amazing. Don't we love our tech team? Give them a hand. Somewhere. There is a picture. So picture with me. So see how that works? A hospital. That actually the church is meant to be a place where we come in and we can say, here's what's hurting. Here's what's off. Here's what's not right. Whether it's with our soul, our hearts, our minds. And that we're not being religious about it. 
We're being open about it, vulnerable about it. I mean, if you go to a hospital with a broken arm and you're like, yeah, my foot hurts. Right? Or you go in smiling when really inside you're hurting. Do you understand that the church is supposed to be a place where we experience God restoring? And what we reveal, God heals. God is able to heal what we reveal. The second aspect is raising up. Picture when you move from the hospital and now you're sent home, right? And and the home is meant to be a place where God is working to raise up the next generation. Healthy homes, healthy families are a part of God's design, part of his revealed will. And his church is meant to be a place that once we're out of the the sick ward or, or we're in progress, that it now becomes a home where we're sinking roots and God is raising us up to the next level where he's raising us up to more than we ever thought was possible, and that we then begin discipling and raising up others. There's a generation that needs the love of Christ. There's a generation coming up behind each of us that we're meant to raise up and call to more than they ever knew was possible. From restored to raising up is the last piece, which is reaching out. And reaching out, really, if you think of more of an aircraft carrier, some churches and some of our mindsets are we're on a cruise ship. Y'all, this is not a cruise ship. We are not here to consume and to get puffy. Notice I didn't say fat, but then I just did. So it's not just to consume and feed. It's to be fed so that we can be sent out reaching out, more of an aircraft carrier being deployed, being sent. We think about what does it mean to be restored, raised up, and reaching out. This is where we're headed over the next few weeks, unpacking each of these, digging deep and saying, God, what is your revealed will for each of us to participate in this? It's an exciting time to be a part of what God is doing. Today in this moment, we sit, and I want to point you out ahead, and if some of you are like, man, he's moving fast today. Hey, in our annual report, we've included two pages of vision for the future. Check it out. You can review it. You can pray over it. It's there for you. Over the last couple of months, there's been uh, challenges on social media, 10-year challenges. People saying, here's what I looked like 10 years ago, and here's, here's what I look like today. I want to give us a 10-year challenge. I want you to picture, whether you're online or where you are right now, this moment. This is the moment. Now look out into the future 10 years with me. Will you do that? I want to read to you something from our vision that I believe is going to help you to picture what some of this could look like 10 years from now. If you want to close your eyes, just don't fall asleep. But picture this with me. It's a paragraph about the future 10 years from now. Pathway has grown to a church-wide reach of 2,000-plus people that is developed and influenced in Vero that is not limited by our physical footprint at 58th and 12th. 
Pathway is known as a hospital, a home, and an aircraft carrier, sending people and leaders to serve with God's love in Vero and beyond. We are a multi-generational, multi-ethnic, and multi-economic class church that represents the community we reside in. We are a church for all people with all the gifts active in all of life, and we are known by our love for Jesus and one another. We have celebrated the completion of phase two of our master site plan, the sending of 30 ministry leaders into vocational ministry, and we've expanded into three locations moving north along the Space Coast. We are known for vibrant next-generation ministries that are reaching out and raising up a generation of kingdom-minded Christ followers. We have helped champion Master's Academy uh, into a new season of growth that now serves 500-plus students annually. We have created Be the Church as an entity that serves to plant, adopt, and support churches in answering God's unique calling for them. Church, can you see this? Can you see what God could do over the next 10 years? That God could lead us into that. I cannot wait to see what he does over the next 10 years. Three questions for your participation. Next step questions, because we're all invited in. We're all invited in to being a part of this. These three questions for you, have you received the mercy of Jesus to become a child of God and to be a part of his church? Have you received his mercy? Because all of this begins there. Secondly, will you let God give birth to a new vision for your life in this season? Notice I said for your life. Will you actually begin to let God renew you and birth new vision in your life as a part of his vision for us? And third, will you say yes to the invitation and get involved at Pathway in this incredible season? There's a link that I want to point out to you. Because many of you are going to go, yes, sign me up. What next? What do I do? So if you go to pathwayvb.com slash next steps, we've actually outlined a list of links and ways to get engaged and involved. We actually believe that we want to help position you to participate in this vision. So if you go to the next steps link on our website, you will see ways that you can engage. Right now, I want to pray because I believe today you're overwhelmed. But you need to know we serve a God that is not overwhelmed at all. In fact, what I shared with you may be too small for what God has intended. That actually God is saying, I could do exceedingly abundantly. Don't be overwhelmed. Just get in alignment with me. Receive my mercy. Receive my grace and begin to flow with me. Y'all, I need to see you stand. Will you stand with me? And I just want to pray over you. And then we're going to go into a song that has to do with your worship, your renewal, believing that these things we talked about today are meant to lead to a people that are saying, God, you're, you're able. You're able to help us be the church. You're able to help us restore and to raise up and to reach out. You're able to meet me even in my moments, wherever you find yourself today. 
So Father, we come to you now humbly, asking and thanking you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for a love that is so much more real than anything the world can give us. Jesus, whether we're online or in person, I pray for your spirit right now to fill us, to renew us, to revive us, to be the people you've called us to be. Bless this time, bless this moment. We thank you for what you are doing. If any of you need prayer online right now, just let our hosts know. If you're here in this room and you need prayer, you want somebody to pray with you, our kneeling benches, our prayer partners are up here and available. You can also come out those doors during this song. We have a room. If you'd like more private prayer. Jesus, bless this time. We thank you for giving birth to new vision from your word. In Jesus' name, amen.
Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you that you are being poured out, that you have plans and purposes for each person. Father, you have a plan and a purpose for our church. Father, we want to be the church, restoring, raising up, and reaching out. I pray that this week you would open our eyes, that we would ask the inconvenient question and be attentive and open to seeing the people around us, the world around us through your eyes. Father, renew us and revive us through your word. Bless us as we go to be your church. And may we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. If you're a visitor out those doors at our Welcome Center, we have a gift and we want to welcome you. If you need prayer, we'll stay up here and available. Have a great week. Go now and be the church.